COVID took away a lot of choices from my family. We adapted. But how will we manage once those choices return? I'm Shannon Hayes, and you're listening to Episode 4 of Season 2 of The Hearth of Sapbush Hollow, Saoirse's Choice. Welcome to the Hearth of Sapwish Hollow, chronicles and lessons from a life tied to family, community, and the land. I'm Shannon Hayes, and I operate Sapwish Hollow Farm with three generations of my family in the northern Catskills of upstate New York. I'm the chef-owner of Sapwish Cafe, a farm-to-table and neighbor-to-neighbor experience open Saturdays 9 to 2 in our tiny hamlet of West Fulton. I'm also the author of a few books, including Radical Homemakers, The Grass-Fed Gourmet, and my newest title, Redefining Rich, which is due out from Ben Bella Books in August. This podcast is the audio version of my blog, which can be found at sapbush.com or theradicalhomemaker.net. I remember the first time I stood in the barnyard, looked at an animal, and saw food. Growing up, I saw livestock purely as animals. I stayed away when it was time to load them on the truck, mentally left the room when my parents, aunt, uncles, and grandparents talked about the price per pound slaughterhouses and auctions. But as an adult, one afternoon while out in the barnyard, I think I might have been pregnant for Sertia at the time. I remember being quite hungry. I watched a pig munching contentedly on his supper. He turned his back to me for a moment, and I saw a fresh ham with cracklings studded with garlic and herbs. He turned again, and he was a beautiful pig with ears drooping just slightly over his soulful eyes, relishing his repast. While I never entertained plans to become a butcher, I recognized something important in my ability to shift my gaze. To carry my family's business, I needed to practice both ways of seeing, the beast gaze and the feast gaze. The beast gaze lets me view the animal as a creature of this earth entitled to care and respect. The feast gaze lets me clearly see what sustains this farm, pays the taxes, and keeps my family fed. I'm using my double gaze this afternoon. 
Sersha and I have come down to the farm on our way to get her second COVID vaccine. Pop-Pop was able to get four lambs scheduled with the processor, and he needs help loading them on the truck. Sersha, Ula, and Cory are on the farm daily with these animals, but I'm here only sporadically. So as I look out at this crop of lambs from which we get to choose, I'm delighted. Lamb is truly our centerpiece at Sapbush Hollow. We were sheep farmers before anything else, and the steep hillsides and frosty valleys seem to love these animals. We've carefully selected from generation after generation of ewes which ones to keep to breed back that will best thrive in our microclimate. The result is lamb with extraordinary flavor from hardy beasts able to endure the hardships of a West Fulton winter. Pop-Up joins me in the pen and we stand together, drinking in his legacy. They're beautifully finished. There's not a single animal in there that won't make for exquisite meat. Sersha and Jen climb in with us and Mom stands outside watching. As the sheep move before him, Pop-Pop reaches out and pulls one from the flock to load, a jet black ewe. Sersha and Jen begin walking her toward the gate. She's one of the black ones, Mom exclaims. Pop-Pop turns and looks at her quizzically. And a ewe! No, we're not processing her. She's beautiful. She should be kept as a replacement. Replacements are young ewes that are selected from the lamb crop to join the permanent flock as breeding stock. Pop-Up lets her go. I climb in and look around again. I see a beautiful ram lamb and begin to reach for him. That's got a white tag, Pop-Up says. You can't take anything with white tags. Sersha and Jen wait quietly while Pop-Up looks through and makes another choice. We load that lamb on the truck. I reach out and grab another lamb. Once more, there's a white tag on his ear. I let him go. Why do all these castrated ram lambs have white tags? I ask. We can't sell those, Pop-Pop says. So we can't eat them and we can't breed them. What are they here for? I'm the numbers person. I want to know what I'm paying to feed that isn't producing. They're for Cornelia, Sersha offers. Cornelia is my neighbor and good friend. She runs Panther Creek Arts. Cornelia didn't order any lambs. She would have told me. I get no response. What's going on here? Jen looks out at me. I can tell she knows something. She looks down at the ground and moves toward the back of the flock. Pop-Pop won't make any eye contact whatsoever. They're the forget-me-nots, Sersha finally shouts. They're friendly, so if Cornelia has her arts fair in the park this summer, we can bring them down for the kids to meet them. We can't process them. The forget-me-nots was a group of lambs born late last spring who, for various reasons, couldn't be raised by their mothers. Ula bottle-fed all of them. Because Cornelia is my good friend, she's being used as the justification for their indulged lifestyle. I'm not fooled. So... All of these are Ula's pets, and therefore we can't process them? They keep wandering through the flock. No one will make eye contact. So nearly every lamb here has a white tag on it, I observe. How am I supposed to make payroll if I can't sell any of this beautiful crop of lambs? This one doesn't, Pop-Up says. He pulls a third and we load it. We go back into the pen and I grab the fourth. Another black ewe with a white face. Her fat cover is gorgeous, and there is no white tag. 
No, Mom screams again. Not her. She's really friendly, Sersha exclaims. I let her go. What here can we eat? I'm growing exasperated. And when did we open a petting zoo? That one. Mom shouts definitively and points to a tall you that stands head and shoulders above the rest. Pop-Pop and Jen launch for her. But she's really nice, Sersha calls over the tussle. Sersha, she's got really long legs. She won't be able to carry lambs through pregnancy. I'm grasping at straws. I'm being gruff. But someone here has to keep the business running. I open the gate on the truck and we lift her in. I look over and see my kid wipe away a tear. I draw a deep breath. Wait. We all stand still as I make eye contact with my daughter. We don't have to do this, I relent. I can go grab the other one we just had. No. Sersha sniffles once. Do it. It's fine. Truthfully, the black one with the white face had better finish, I offer. Yeah, but she's really sweet, too. It's okay. I'll be okay. Do it. So we walk away from loading, and we drive to Oneonta for Sersha to get vaccinated. We're strangely elated as we greet each National Guardsman at the vaccine site. They're positioned to move us through efficiently and at proper distances, where soldiers and needles both would have incited fear and caution at any other time, in this moment, we are giddy. Bob and I completed our vaccinations last month, Corey got his second shot this morning, and now Sersha gets hers. She thinks about what lies ahead of her, all those things that had to go on pause for the past year. Play rehearsals, meeting up with friends, travel, wearing lipstick instead of a mask while working at the espresso bar. She gets to be a kid again. She receives her injection and we get in the car to drive home for Sunday dinner. And then she starts to cry again. It's about putting that lamb on the truck, she tells me. Before long, her few tears turn to wails and sobs. I hate this! I hate this! I hate this! She screams at the windshield. I don't want to do this to them! I let her call the farm to see if Pop-Pop can pull the U off the truck. But he's already gone. It is done, and there is no turning back. And she can't stop crying. And I don't have words for my child. It is as though we drove to that vaccine site, and she was a farmer who had to make difficult choices that day, just as every farmer must make every day. And she got that vaccine and saw a glimpse of the waning days of her childhood that she surrendered to the pandemic. The curtain of COVID fell and my girl became a woman. She pushed aside her dreams to sing on stage and stepped in with the sheep. She hauled meat boxes and chicken pens and water buckets and packed orders and shoveled shit. She loaded animals on the truck for slaughter. She swallowed the emotions of the daily hard choices and just moved forward. She did it for her family and she didn't think about herself. And there's no doubt in my mind that I saw joy in her face every day. Indeed, there is often no greater joy than knowing you are part of something that matters, that you are needed, that the survival and well-being of the whole is more important than any individual choice. But with that one little injection, She's vaccinated against COVID. And 
individual choice returns. These are all the things flying through my mind as we drive down the highway toward her future. She weeps for the sheep. I think she probably weeps for the first time for all that she has faced down this past year. What's a mother to say? I've been through this, sure. One of my very first memories is watching lambs hung for slaughter on a farm up the road, their viscera in a wheelbarrow swarming with flies. It is a brutal experience. And yet, I chose it as my way forward, the best way I knew to fix carbon in the soil, protect the hedgerows and the wildlife, and to keep my family whole and healthy. This past year, Saoirse did not have a choice. But now she does. So I just hold her hand as she cries. I don't want to lecture how this is the way of things. She's too raw for me to explain the importance of switching between the beast gaze and the feast gaze. And I don't want to push her away from this business. But I also want her to recapture some of that youth she surrendered when the pandemic hit. There's too much to say, and nothing more to say. So I settle for gratitude. Thank you, I tell her. Thank you for everything you've done and everything you gave over this past year. And I know that it hurts, but feeling the way you do is right. If you stopped feeling, you wouldn't care for the animals as well. It sucks. I'm sorry for the pain and I can't take it away. But I'm so damn thankful for everything. And I cry with her. Her sobs recede to whimpers and the whimpers to sniffles and the sniffles to deep sighs. And we drive home hand in hand neither of us knowing what lies beyond the next turn in the road. Oak Sapwish Cafe is now open for the season with outdoor dining and takeout every Saturday from 9 to 2. We've expanded our breakfast and brunch offerings, and we're even offering wine, beer, and some great cocktails, including an amazing Bloody Mary. If you wanted to come stay with us this season, please make your reservations as soon as possible for either our Airbnb, you'll find it listed as Farm to Table Retreat on Panther Creek, or our Tenter site, listed as Calico Ridge at Sapbush Hollow Farm. You can find links to both at sapbush.com. You can also go there to learn more about our grass-fed meats, weekly cafe specials, wool yarn, our all-natural wool bedding, and how to save on your grocery bills with our CSA meat shares. You can also find out more about my books and how to schedule me for a speaking event or class, or just post a question you'd like me to answer on air. If you enjoyed this, please take a few minutes to leave a review. This helps other folks find my work. And if you could share this podcast with friends and family, so much the better to help get the ideas to spread. This podcast happens with the support of my patrons on Patreon, and this week, I'd like to send a shout-out to my patrons Vivian Kaufman and Victoria Shelton. Thank you, folks. I couldn't do it without you. If you'd like to help support my work, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month by hopping over to Patreon and looking up Shannon Hayes. In case you were wondering, this podcast was produced and edited by the sexiest man alive my husband, Bob Hooper, and the great music we're listening to comes to us from Emory. 
Thanks for listening and have a great week. Now the birds are singing about all the things they've seen over in the other countries, sowing seeds and reaping dreams. And I think that I am learning all about what it means to stay still long enough to feel.